Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeeha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here, ready to talk NFL, college football, and MLB headlines today. We've got Michael McHenry, former Pirates catcher. He's in studio with us. He's a part of their broadcast team as well. We're going to preview all things division races, playoff races, home run races, and more. That's coming up in hour number two. Then Bobby Carpenter joins us in hour three with the very latest on college and NFL discussion. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ready for a big show. Excited coming here today after coaching a 7- and 8-year-old softball extra innings victory nice, last nice. night. Extra Feeling good innings. about that. Didn't know there were extra innings, Paul. In I fact, I looked at the other tied. coach and said... I felt like another, another father I, told you the rule book. Well, I was kind of hoping for the tie at one point because my <laughs> kids were wanting to go home. And I said, so it's a tie? And he said, yeah, if, it, if it's tied, it's going to... Nope. Umpire came out and said, one extra inning, start with the last out at second, and you play a full inning out. Their team did not score. We came up in the bottom half, scored a run pretty quickly, and ball game. I'm impressed they did that. Was was there a game waiting behind you? There was a game waiting behind us. Interesting. Congratulations. Well done. We also had an an issue where the team coming in behind us, you know, these are little kids, and they're packing up their bat bags and everything and trying to get out. Typically, you just go into the outfield, and start warming up, and there's a gate that opens up, and they're all waiting to get in the dugout. So I'm having to like wait to get out to give the speech to the team because the entire team behind us Finally is rotate, you know, rolling into the dugout. I'm thinking, we you could have just walked right out there and started warming up. We'd have cleared out for you, then you put everything in when the game starts. Um, so look, a protocol develops there. A pro- there's going to be order. talk of protocol for my primary complaint today. Also, that was an error in protocol, but uh, we'll clean it up. We'll get better. I'm like a coach now. It's all about the process, Paul. It's not about results. It's about making sure we're doing the right thing each and every day and that we're getting better and better every day. And, Hud, he's much happier making these corrections coming off a win. Of course. Yes. Well, I mean, he's also he's, he's feeling championship. I can tell. Well, he came after the first, the first loss. He was like, you know what? This is going to be a, a tutorial tutorial year we're going to get through it and uh we're going to improve from this we need these girls to get older and now it's a there's a different pep and chad withrow step now i'm looking at it this. like we got as good a chance as anyone yep. when i look around the yep. league i'm thinking that everybody is about the same and in, you in want the top, in the top group and yeah i want to we get a rematch with one of the our close losses on saturday we play a team next week that only has one win i thought there was one team that clubbed you the yeah, first the team one. the first team of the uh, season clubbed us but that's what I'm saying. He wants the rematch. I think, think we have the same record now, uh, the, both of us. So um, that look, we score Go runs. Ahead. You look into that camera and you tell him <laughs> what's going to happen. They won't I've got a message. They won't flip. I got a message for the the no. Um, we you score look at runs. The like I, I like where oh, we are because we haven't. We had the one game where we lost 13 to four to start, but outside of that, 
I don't think we scored less than seven or eight runs in a game. So if we do, if we score seven plus every game, we're going to give ourselves a chance. That's that's my prediction <clears throat> for the rest of soccer. And that was coach talk with Chad Withrow. Well, it's funny that's because a sponsorable segment. If you're interested, Paul, you know this in youth sports. You know, it's not like you're separated by some big stanchion and there's a huge crowd behind you. You're talking to the parents during the game. So I sit on my the ball bucket. And I'm right there with the parents, and there's like grandparents and parents who are we're having a constant dialogue during the game. So they're looking over like, oh, do we have extra innings? Do we have a chance? Are we the last? You know, moms are like, do we get another bat? When they would tie the game up, are we? I'm like, we're last bat. We're home team. So we'll have a chance. At one point, I look back at the parents because they were all yelling at a girl to throw the ball, throw it, throw it. And I said, it's dead. The umpire ruled it dead. It's fine. Settle down. I had to almost had to do like the quarterback telling the, the crowd to get quiet. I Settle said, down now. He called it dead. He called time. The umpire called time. So she doesn't need to throw it anywhere. Just let's let's all take a deep breath and chill out. I have to take a deep breath and chill out at times. One time last night was yelling at my own daughter uh, who uh, failed to apply a tag in a non-force situation. And we had a great out at second. And she's standing on the bag and everyone's yelling tag. And she stands there and does not tag her. And I jumped up and yelled at her. And almost made her cry on the field. And she told me that after the game. Almost. But here's the lesson. The lesson is she learned her lesson because this morning I said, Evie, what did you do wrong last night? What is the one thing that you remember you did wrong? And she said, I thought it was a force out, and it was not. And now, now, Paul, I know that I'm doing my now job. Well, look, now you can, be, you can be frustrated by that. I watched Major League Baseball last night where a guy on a hit and run got to second, touched the bag, Really didn't round the bag, but technically touched the bag and took like a, a minor step. And then uh, with the fly ball to, to right, watching it, just ran back to first to get back safe. Red Sox challenged the Yankees for this, and he was called out because he didn't retouch on his way back, even though he was, uh. it was very, very minor retouch, but he, in fact, didn't retouch. He'll never do that again in his life, but he should have, that should have been coached out of him a long time ago. Do you think Aaron Boone sent him a text this morning and said, now, what did you learn last night? What was our one big takeaway from that game? And he had to go back it to the room really like I did is, with my seven-year-old daughter this They morning? really are, and I'll ask our guest about this, a, a monstrous example of you cannot chew anybody out anymore. I mean, I don't know that that was the perfect example of it, but they had the other day, Aaron Hicks, you guys probably saw this. He, he uh, It was a third out of an inning. He was in the corner, left field corner at Yankee Stadium. <clears throat> he booted a ball. He ran a long way for it, but he absolutely should have caught it. it popped out of his glove right on the, the foul line. And then he dropped it, and he sat there for a four-beat, thinking, well, I dropped that foul ball, while two guys scored. Then he picked it up and finally realized it was a live ball and threw it what in. What are the repercussions? Then a little bit later, a little bit later, a ball that was a 40% chance of a catch, they said, you know, based on the analytics. Uh, he got caught up, kind of turning the wrong way, and it went over his head. And they actually, Boone actually did not send him out on defense in the next inning. That was in the fourth inning. So it was punitive. But Boone then in the postgame said it's not punitive. Not, it was <laughs> not punitive. Like he can't even say I'm punishing the guy because he played horrific defense and we're not going to do that here. So well, he if you're can, playing that badly, I'm going to put somebody else out there. But you can't even do that in professional sports anymore and say, the guy wasn't getting it done, so we're going to put somebody in who is getting it done, which is 
minor, minor, minor calling a guy out. He has to, I mean, at least he had the stones to do it, but then he has to polish it up and say, no, 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 it's no. It's ridiculous. It was nothing against Aaron Hicks. It wasn't about his bad defense. It's ridiculous, but you're right. I mean, for the most part, they're, they're psychologists. call a guy out. You know, they're sitting there to be their buddy in a lot of situations, and they're psychologists but when you're a baseball manager. But even a psychologist will say to you at some point, are you being honest with yourself? Don't you have to look at that a little? I mean, I think psychologists will be tougher on people than coaches and, and GMs are in most sports at most times now. Well, and I've certainly seen, publicly, I've seen Brian Snicker for the Braves pull Ronald Acuna Jr. out of the game for loafing at yeah. times. But then what happened, does he say after? It's the happened fact. a couple times after the game. He said he's got to be better, and he knows that we 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 got to have someone putting forth more effort on every I play. Like that. And there are little details that need to be better, and that's why I pulled him out of the game. I mean, he's put, soft as his ever. Bobby been. Cox pulled Andrew Jones out mid inning one time for loafing in center field and sent someone else out there right after he did it during the game. That era is gone of those managers that will do things like that. I remember Billy Martin pulling Reggie Jackson out. I just heard the, the old interview where he pulled him out in the middle of the inning. Paul Blair went out for him. Remember, it was a huge deal. I believe it was at Fenway Park, and they got into a big fight on the bench. Billy Martin probably would have hit him if he wasn't pulled away by an, uh, a, a coach on the bench. And, you know, Martin was drinking a ton at that point. And uh, Reggie said somebody conveyed to him that the night before, Martin said, I'm going to do something to really get at Reggie tomorrow. Uh, so, like, that he was pretty much pre It was a, a premeditated uh, doing something, and he was angry now, about that. I'm not that. looking for that, yeah. but I am looking for somebody, if you're really botching it, to make it clear. Like, I, I'm against, like, a false example of something, but when your team's going bad, I don't want like, some orchestrated shakeup, but when you have a prime example in front of you to tell your team, like, yeah. hey, we're not doing this, like in the Derek Jeter special when, when David Wells put his hands on his head when, uh, when somebody made a misplay, at least the message there from Jeter was like, we're not going to react like that. That's not how we behave. He that's said, a, a message He, he said, we don't do that bleep here. Right. And but he yelled at him during sent. the game and said that because he reacted to an error in the field. And yeah. that wasn't a horrific error. But, I mean, Aaron Hicks deserved to be sold out by the organization a couple nights ago, and, and they don't do it. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. The fans do it for them now, you know? Yeah, like fans that, are your... That's it. That's, uh, that's really it. I mean, the, the managers are almost trying to play the opposite end of the spectrum because of the... Good cop, bad cop. Yeah. And it's also easier to play that. Yeah, but the bad cops don't get in the locker room. Yeah, but I'm saying... This one's, I'm like, from a managerial standpoint, it's easier to just always play the good cop yeah. and take it private. Well, and it's also easier when you have a leader in your clubhouse that can just do the the bad cop work for yeah, you. Yeah, so who would that be now? I mean, that's that's well, what needs to be Judge, but I mean, Judge is a super nice guy too and uh, you know, maybe he's pulling a guy aside and saying something, but it's not the yeah. same. I think guys need to be bitched out once in a well, while. Well, I'll give you the, the Braves example was Freddie Freeman would be quick to in a post-game media scrum talk about Ronald Acuña Jr. saying he's got to he's got to cut some of this stuff out. He's a great player. We love him. But, I mean, you can't, you know, loaf it at times or have these little mental errors. And people would criticize Freddie Freeman for saying that. Like, how well, dare you? This guy's hitting 340, and he's a 40-40 guy. You know, that they would go after him for having the audacity to call someone out who's not giving top effort at all times. But that's what you need is someone in the clubhouse that's willing to so do that. So you had an outlier, you know, when, when the A's started Moneyball and they were looking to take advantage of, of certain uh, 
the things that, that they thought they could play to their advantage financially. I, I would kind of like to see an outlier on this. Now, players wouldn't line up to, uh, to come there. Maybe some would. You know, a lot of coaches say players crave discipline, and maybe they get discipline in a different way. But how about an outlier baseball team that is going to tell you, you are running the first base hard on everything, or I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. You're going to sit. And, and if you're making careless errors like that on a big contract, you're going to pay the price for it and, and all of that. And see if the outlier has real effects. Here's the one problem with that. To be able to do that, you need to be an accomplished manager that's probably won a World Series or and two. those guys don't. But you can't, if you do that and flip, let's say you're, you know, you're their buddy and you're like every other manager and you're a psychologist and you're one of the guys in the clubhouse and then you win that World Series, you know, I'm not getting fired, so this is how I actually want to behave. That comes across as phony. The moment you start doing it and turn it on uh, with your with your locker, I think room. one of these young guys from the start just needs to be that way, and and the reaction is going to be, well, who the hell is he? And you just have to stay that course. And I don't know if it can work. We well, might be it too probably far has gone. to start with a bad team that's improving. Yeah, right. You you set the standard from the beginning that your manager is actually going to call you out for doing wrong things, and then as the team improves, they get safer in their job security, and suddenly you're not looking over your shoulder the entire time when you pull a guy out mid-inning or you, in a press conference, talk about someone loafing in the field, then you're going to be protected. But it starts point. higher up. Are, are GMs looking for this, Hut? They're, they're not. They're looking for the psychologist and the guy who's going to act out their analytics. Those are the primary qualities yeah, of, to of the, the job anymore. And not, yeah, and not the personalities. Um, the SEC has asked Tennessee and Georgia to, quote-unquote, postpone their upcoming matchups against Oklahoma. Georgia has one next season, and Tennessee has one in 2024, which is pushed back due to the COVID year. Georgia has already replaced uh, Oklahoma with Ball State. Because they're coming to the conference. And they're coming to the conference. And the thought is, uh, based on this... It's going to happen next year. Yeah, you you could have an early arrival for both of these schools. Um, And it's already scheduled through the conference and not through your... Yeah, not through non-conference. The re- well, the reason, Paul, is that if it, this is a signifier to a lot that okay, it's going to happen sooner. Maybe not next year. Maybe twenty twenty four, but then it's under the conference purview. So Tennessee, Oklahoma would be a conference game allocated by the conference office in Birmingham for the SEC and not a non-conference game. So let's go ahead and cancel them because it's pretty clear they're working to speed up the process. Oh yeah, to get them in before. Is it 2025? 2025. But if they're going a year early in 2024, one next year as a curtain raiser preview, I think would be really cool. It would be a monumentally hyped game, Georgia-Oklahoma. I I agree. uh, Here it comes in in advance of next year. Now it's non-conference and next year, bang. Unless they're negotiating to just pay the $80 million and get them here now. Like well, next season, I'm yeah, saying. that'd be something. You know, I, I, I mean, don't that'd think, be better. I don't think Alabama, Texas this year. I know it's further down the road, but Alabama, Texas this year certainly didn't certainly didn't do anything to diminish no, Alabama, yeah, Texas is an SEC game yeah. <laughs> in a few years, right? So the, the the quote from the conference mentions and references 2025, but you wouldn't remove scheduled matchups and force your your schools to go find other opponents that you've already agreed to, if there wasn't a chance that. The, the schedule makers were going to include it in their conference scheduling. Certainly so, one thing. It's intriguing to follow just based on that request. Well, here's, here's what's intriguing to me also. Now, 
You had Georgia and Tennessee with premier non-conference games. Are they now going to go out and try to find another no. premier opponent? Georgia, or are they going to schedule... Georgia's already scheduled Ball State. They've already swapped with Ball State. Tennessee has not swapped with anyone yet for 2024, Not I'm that guessing. I've seen, yeah. But next year, it's, it's Ball State. And, See, that, that, and, and Paul, gotta, that, schedule, that's where you lose. But right? they schedule right. things so far in advance, it's oh, hard know, to find yeah. a team that is there, open. It, absolutely. There may not be another team that's available that's good, but point being, you do lose out on a premier non-conference matchup. And get crap in exchange. Because that may be the – I mean, I'm not oh, criticizing get, Georgia. Yeah. That could be the one team available at that point. So you've got let's and then Oklahoma's got to find another opponent too. By the way, if you're canceling the yeah, well they got to find two. Who is Ball State thinking about playing? Ball, Ball uh, State's just on the horn <laughs> with everyone right now. Guys, I got calls coming in from everywhere. We got games coming up the next three years against well, top you, opponents. And the other thing too, a part get them of these, in a bidding war. A part of these contracts with Georgia and Tennessee and Oklahoma is their home and home. So if you're going to start the home and home series and there's money involved in that by the t- guaranteed by the time you would actually return the favor and have the other home series of the contract, Oklahoma's already in the conference. With the so bigger that, schedule. That's the other, the other part of it is I, I don't know if it's Georgia or Tennessee. One of them had Oklahoma also on the schedule in 2027. And so we know that's going to be a conference opponent then. So they're asking them to, you know, yeah. get rid of their, their current contract with them. It makes sense. Um, and I, I hope it's sooner rather than later. That's the hope for all of us. Uh, coming up, it's overreaction week in the NFL. What we saw in week one n- doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's routine and it's the chalked-in description of any player or any coach or any franchise currently. However... When we come back, we're going to each give an example of an NFL team that we think is done after week one, after what we have observed. We'll overreact with you next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Outkick 360 rolls on. Overreaction time, gentlemen. We're discussing through the NFL which teams or individuals or maybe the individual leads to the team that's done after week one, after what we've seen. It's, it's hard to drive a nail through anyone right now, honestly. Uh, even the really bad teams had decent moments. I'm thinking of Houston, for instance. Uh, one that we would have expected to not be able to sell hope sold hope in week one by leading the majority of that game and Davis Mills playing well and, and despite Lovey Smith playing for, for the tie in overtime. Point being, you've got to be definitive on this. There's got to be a true feeling with it. Chad, where do you start? I'm going to go with the true feeling that I shared yesterday. I think Nathaniel Hackett is a fraud. Uh, I think that, that the sequence at the end of the game was one of the more egregious 
moments I've seen of NFL head coach decision-making in the history of the game. Uh, He's a failure. He was made good only by Aaron Rodgers and being associated with him. And this Broncos team, who I did not have in the playoffs to begin with in our playoff predictions, they're done. They're they're not going to be in the playoffs. Hutton mentioned Houston. Good news for them. They get Houston in this game this week. Uh, That may be the only good news for, for the Broncos this year. If you're looking at week one failures, especially for a team in the most difficult division in all of the NFL, not beating Seattle, who's going to be a very bad team, but not beating the Seahawks is going to be looked back on as something devastating to any playoff hopes for the Denver Broncos. I'm going to overreact in our way too early proclamations. I'm going to say Nathaniel Hackett is not long for a head coaching job with the Broncos, and the Broncos are done. They're not making the playoffs. I've got two. I'll limit myself to one. We'll circle back. My guy uh, played 16 snaps Sunday night. Uh, Cooper Rush is done, (laughs) and uh, on his behalf, the Cowboys are done. We touched on it yesterday, but Cooper Rush isn't going to do anything. They're not clever enough to design a game plan that can, can work for him. Uh, I don't think that they'll they'll go away from Ezekiel Elliott um, enough, uh, which they should. To I'm forgetting his name. Uh, in, inevitably going to happen for me. Who's their number two in, in Pollard? Dallas? Pollard. They should key around Pollard in the defense. And if Cooper Rush could play, you know, mistake free, maybe they could look a little bit like Cleveland on their on their best Sundays. But I don't I don't think they'll do that. And then they hold out too much hope for Dak. And by the way, Dak was healthy for the bulk of that game, and they scored three points against Tampa Bay, who's not the best defensive team in the league. Well, top top run defense in the league over the last three years, each of them in the NF, in the NFC. But you can make plays on on Tampa Bay. You can make enough plays to score more than three points. Yeah, I mean, that, both of these teams were known for offense last year. Both struggled offensively at times, even Tampa. Quickly on the the Cowboys that you brought up in Prescott. Odd how they're treating the Prescott. I mean, very optimistic for Mike McCarthy. Seven to ten days, and then we're going to see how well it's healed. And then the next process will start. But it's almost like they're treating it in the way they're discussing it. Like, hey, he might be back in seven to ten days. I don't don't read into that. I I read into it no differently than I did post-game when Jerry Jones was saying it's bad and he's out. Uh, The guy had surgery, and the doctor told him good news. That's what I take from it. Yeah. I think they're being very hopeful. I'd be very hopeful, too, if Cooper Rush was my alternative. So they're putting all their eggs in the Well, in the yeah, backpack. but you could be hopeful and also save a roster spot if you know he's yeah, out agree. four weeks. Well, I, I agree. Not I think to, that comes that, back to bite him in the end. That's not them playing uh, doctor. That is a legitimate surgeon telling them his opinion on it. Well, that's what so. I'm saying. I, every every other message we get is they should put him on – they should you know get a roster spot in for him. Seven to ten days, they're acting like, even if the doctor told them, in seven to ten days, he may be good to go. But then we're going to know the next step in seven to ten days because it will be healed at that point. But when I hear it's healed, I'm thinking the dude might miss a game or two and be back. And that's what the Cowboys are thinking by not putting him on IR. So that goes against what everyone thought when this injury it's still, happened. It's still weird. It may ball, happen. Who knows? Coming, uh, the thumb on the throwing hand. That's a I big mean, deal. It's not going to be comfortable. No. At, at, at and just best, taking, at just best, taking it's snaps. Just taking snaps, better yet, throwing. I mean, you pound yeah. the ball into that piece of the hand pretty regularly. Yeah, just based on that, I would think he's out at least four weeks. But 
Um, it, it, it was interesting because the the initial report said four to six, and then Schefter came out and said that the Cowboys are thinking it's six to eight based on the surgery time. The next morning, he went and had surgery. Right after that is whenever they said they're not putting him on IR. So They're not going to want him under center very yeah. early. Very um, often. Oh, I'm curious about your second one, and I, I've got an honorable mention as well. And mine is not – the screen says which NFL team's seasons are over after week one. I'm not saying definitively that their season is over, but the hype for the Los Angeles Rams is over based on what I saw offensively because the numbers are telling me exactly uh, about Stafford's elbow. They had the worst yards per completion in week one of any offense in the NFL against the Bills' defense. That's the second worst air yards – for the Rams' offense since Stafford arrived in Los Angeles. They're missing more downfield weapons. Cooper Cup can't do it all alone. And I lean more into the fact that Stafford is having some type of issue with the elbow that's going to play a factor in all of this. The, the Rams team I saw take the field last Thursday uh, is not the, the same one that I saw hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And while it's one week... That was a team built on offense, and we know the pieces who are not there. The pieces who are there, Cooper Cup was targeted, Allen Robinson was not. And I think a lot, in large part, the game plan was dictated on what Stafford could do or could not do based on pass rush. Their offensive line is, is not the same. So I, I'm not, and I've got them playing in a rematch against the Bills in the Super Bowl. After what I saw, I don't see a team that's winning the division. They can get in the playoffs. Their season's not over. But as far as true expectations, I'm I'm way further down on the totem pole with them after what I saw offensively. I, I've, I've consistently said I, I am nervous for the Rams about the, the elbow, elbow issue throughout this. I know we, Armando Salguero says, hey, he had this last year, and now he's had it surgically corrected, and everything's going to be fine, and he won the Super Bowl last year. That's great. A year older, time away from it. He's in the middle of it a year ago. Maybe he's riding on adrenaline and it's not as bad at that point, there's just something about this injury that can cause a tingling sensation and lack of feeling in your hand. I, it, it worries me for Stafford and the Rams, and I'm going to continue to worry until completely proven otherwise and that he looks like he's 100% and completely himself later into the season. All fair complaints. Hard to feel good about San Francisco either, mm. and I'm not seeing anything in the NFC that gets me all excited. So I think they've got t time, and I, I think we'll see better from them. As good as last year? No. But I, I think there's, there's – You know what open. really sucks about that 49ers-Bears outcome? That I got that knocked out of a pool a second time? That part of it sucks, but almost as bad as the fact that it, it, I feel like no one can really offer an opinion on it because the weather was so bad, apparently. Yeah. You know, everyone's like, well, but they played in a monsoon. They were in, you know, three inches of water every time they moved. But also for Justin Fields, who gets a big win in week one, the same thing goes for him. It's, well, let's, let's wait and see. Bears are still going to be bad. Justin Fields... Maybe not be that good because we can't tell anything based on the monsoon. I know I didn't like what I saw from Trey Lance in week one, regardless of the weather. I liked what I saw from Justin Fields a little bit more, but then you keep coming back to, but the weather, <laughs> well, it was really soggy and it was raining the whole day, so it doesn't matter. It's a mulligan for both teams, but that's, 
that's unfortunate for both the Bears and the 49ers, I feel like, in, a, in an evaluation of both these young quarterbacks. My runner-up was the director of an offense that managed seven points that everybody been talking about in a negative way all offseason long. Matt Patricia as, as, as uh, Mac Jones's guy. Um, and we don't know if this is going to switch around or, or what's going to happen because Bell Belichick is, is Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. But Matt Patricia was, was the guy uh, in Miami for the Patriots. People are really down on the Patriots and with, with good cause. I mean, Mac Jones played a reasonable game, 21 of 30, 213, a touchdown, a pick, two sacks. Patriots have won plenty of games with, with numbers like that, even from, even from Tom on Tom's bad days. But it's hard to feel good about where the Patriots are, are headed right now. And part of the reason is, is Matt Patricia uh, as an offensive architect. It's hard for me to even look at them and say, okay, here's what they need to be to be successful. Like Here's the route to success in the playoffs for the Patriots. I, I look at their situation right now. I, it's hard to even find the roadmap for them being really good this year and, plus, and being a playoff team. Plus, for so long, we, we talked about the margin between the Patriots and the rest of the division, right? I mean, the Patriots were hosting a lot of AFC championship games because they padded their record by beating up on Buffalo, Miami, and New York. Well, Buffalo is in line for that this year. Uh, Miami might pose some challenge. The Jets are going to be the Jets, and – I won't be surprised if New England doesn't doesn't put up much of a fight. Buffalo could could run that division or or be five and five and one the way the Patriots were for the bulk of the Belichick Brady era. Well, and I, look, I said I, I don't see the roadmap for the Patriots, but if one exists, I'm not betting against Bill Belichick to find it yep. and figure it out. If there is a route to success in any way, shape, or form. He is the type of coach that's going to find it and they're going to make something happen. I just don't see it with them. If there is a route to the failure levels that I'm talking about, there will be a lot of celebration in those three other AFC East cities and places like Indianapolis and Pittsburgh and and teams that didn't get to the Super Bowls they maybe thought they could have gotten to because New England was such a roadblock for so long. I don't like what I saw from New England, but the roadmap is almost identical in a mirror to last year. They started one and three and two and five. And by November, they were the talk of the NFL. They figured things out in October, uh, mid-November by Thanksgiving. They were being compared by the top riders across the league as this up-and-coming quarterback with Bill Belichick. And let's look at the 2000 and and one Patriots and compare to the 2021 Patriots. Right, but the concern conceivably is their inability to carry any of that over into the beginning of this year with McDaniels gone. I mean, the quarterback went yeah. through the bumps and the learning thing, and it seems like conceivably he's he's starting again at a at a difficult point instead of yeah, picking now, up now it's where Matt they Patricia left that's off. That's got to figure that out. Yeah. What they need to become offensively. They should have some carryover from that nice finish last year there's no feel around them from the people that you read who are on the beat, some of the best beat people in the country, that they've you know, done any picking up from where they left off. They went on a stretch. So they, they got back on, on, in, in, on pace last year in October with a win in Houston, barely. They scratch out a win 25-22. They then return home, lose to the Cowboys in overtime. 
beat the Jets, beat the Chargers on the road, beat the Panthers, beat the Browns, beat the Falcons. They just started going on this run. Got the wind and, and against Buffalo. They had Mac Jones that hit a stride. And I, I think the only way – by the way, that's with Nikhil Harry and some other guys that they've since parted ways with. I think their path is to get the two tight ends involved that they've invested heavy money in, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And be defensive. And I, I have some faith in Jonu Smith being much better in his second year. He was kind of a slow learner here, much more mature and smarter football guy, but didn't do much last year in his first year, and I think they're counting on a, a big boost from him in his second year. I won't be surprised to see that. So I um, – by the way, the other part of the Rams for me on the yards per completion, they trailed – from the opening drive and the majority of the second half, you're trying to push the ball down the field and they weren't doing that. So that's why I'm, I'm raising an eyebrow despite the talent that they may have. Um, I didn't know which one to pick because I, I, there, there's something deceiving. I think about both of these, I think either the Titans or the Packers are in trouble in real trouble. They're relying on young wide receivers to be the bulk of their offense through the air. And right now, they're going to rely on their run game and offensive line to carry them through to a certain point where the young guys are no longer, quote-unquote, rookies in year one, and they've got their feet under, their legs under them. The Titans have a much bigger week two challenge than the Packers do in terms of the talent they're they're facing. So I think it's much more likely, and I know the Titans rise to the occasion consistently against good opponents, but if, if, uh, you know, now they're going on the road against a team that they've beaten twice – who feels due to, to break through against them in Buffalo, whereas the Packers are uh, hosting Chicago? Uh, yes, they're in Green Bay this week. Yeah, I like Green Bay's um, chances to, to bounce back better than I like the Titans. Though I won't be surprised if the Titans bounce back. So the, the, here's what's deceiving about the Titans. The yards per completion, I was looking this up it's on the Rams. Not bad, 13. Uh, they led the NFL last week in yards per completion on average. So keep that in mind. Last last year, they were awful, depleted wide receiving core. But last year, the average, even with A.J. and everyone, 9.6. Uh, this past week, they averaged 13.3. The Titans had, um, let me get this, make sure I had this right, seven plays of 20 or more yards. Last year, the most they had in a game was five. Now, you do a lot to wash yeah. that away when you give up two plays over 60 yards on defense. But still, like, it's, it's weird. Then why I say I think it's, it's deceiving a bit. Like, I watch that game back, and I don't, I don't see, like, the same explosion for There's the nothing, passing game that I would see a year ago, two years ago. Nothing electric about it. Dontrell Hilliard was the most yeah. explosive player in a lot of ways, right? So is he officially hurt? Well, we don't know. The we'll injury report out. comes out tomorrow. Yeah, we won't get it till Thursday. Yeah, guys, I'm, Hutton, you made me think about Packers and Titans, and I, I would say Titans are the ones. If I'm leaning towards someone that's going to not be good this year after one week, it's them over the Packers. But um, DraftKings has the odds on the first coach to get fired in the NFL. Mike Vrabel is fifth highest. We had this discussion, and you may have been out this week. they ran out of they, people to put on the list. They had... Um, this is how it's changed after week one. No, we had this. We, he, was, he was in the same breath as Frank Reich. Well, Frank Reich is one spot ahead of him right now. This is post-week one results. Mike McCarthy moves to first. Who's Mike McCarthy moved ahead of Matt Rule. Preseason, Matt Rule was one. Mike McCarthy jumps him. Mike McCarthy, Matt Rule, 
Cliff Kingsbury goes from seventh to third after week one. Then it's Frank Reich, Mike Vrabel. Who's after him? Robert Sala. Who's after Sala? That's all that I see. I I I think they just run out of people. There's no chance that Mike Vrabel gets fired. They're not running out of people. They're not out of people. There's, There's 26 other coaches in the NFL. He just got a contract extension. He's coming off coach of the year. I don't understand. I mean, how he's, he's on as that list. safe as anybody in the league. And I'm not. That's not hyperbole. I, I like, know. I'm not. I'm including Belichick. He, he is as safe as Bill it. Belichick. I'm not I mean, lying. So, so here's the names I didn't hear: Lovey Smith, Ron Rivera, Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles. Yes, I mean tons yeah. of expectations. All three there. of them should be way um, higher than him. Pete Carroll. Yeah, Pete Carroll was one that in the because I was looking at off season odds and Pete Carroll was top four and that now he's not in the top six. And well, these, they these throw him odds. on there because people don't pay attention to the Titans. They saw the bad well, playoff loss the and they see loss. a terrible first yeah. week loss and they say people will throw some. Uh, we'll get some people to throw some money on this and collect some easy dollars. I guess that's what they're doing. I mean, I mean that's crazy. But I'm have, also thinking they're also I, having higher I, odds on some coaches yes. who would be fired sooner. I, I wish there was another Carroll and Todd Bowles who put it. some money on that if it's way down there in yeah. the plus. I wish money. there was another side of it for not fired. What does Vegas know that we don't know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they always know something, don't they? They always know something. That one's just a so outrageous. Miss. While we're talking about Vegas, Vegas is predicting a lot of lopsided games, Paul. This weekend, lots of big spread nine nine and a half or more, but they're like four games. I was doing my pick 'em pool yesterday during a break. It's like nine and a half, nine and a half, nine and a half, nine and a half, and there's one twelve. I think they're 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 seeing a lot of double digit uh, performances this weekend. Let's just run through a couple. By the way, them. my college football games of the week this week will have closer spreads one yeah. through ten. Really? Than some of these NFL games, that's that may be a first. Yeah, that's a, that may be a first. I that would have if you hadn't written your column already this week. Have, that would have been a good I have column. A single double-digit point spread in the top ten this that's week. That's amazing. So Atlanta, they're getting ten and a half on the road against the Rams. You I think have, the Rams will be just fine covering that. You have let's see, Seattle's getting nine and a half on the road in San Francisco. <laughs> Saddles coming um, back to life, but that one is worth considering. I, yeah. Houston is getting nine and a half on the road in Denver. That Davis, should Davis be a bounce Mills. back game for Denver, except that you're holding a funeral for Denver's yeah, coach. Take the Texans. Take the Texans. I, I'm buying Lovey Smith before I buy Chicago. Mr. Chicago's getting nine and a half on the road in Green Bay. Titans are getting nine and a half on the road in Buffalo. And I would take the Titans in that yeah, because they're going to bounce back closer. and play really close. May not win, but so it's going to be four. close. And there's a couple of other seven and a half. So, like, uh, Dallas is getting seven and a half at home against Cincy. So, this may have yeah, moved a bit. spreads over a um, touchdown, though. The Vikings, uh, seven and a half at home against Detroit. I would take Detroit there. Yeah, there, there's quite a few lopsided. Just to cover, just to cover, not to win. Maybe I've gone too far down my list now. But, yeah. That, four nine and a half spreads on, on one weekend is uh, significant. I feel like this game tomorrow night, maybe it's because the Titans' schedule is a day late and they're still off today, has come really fast. Uh, Keenan Allen, while we're discussing, he's out with a hamstring, and J.C. Jackson is questionable to play tomorrow they in Kansas can City. really use him. He is a difference maker. This, that's going to be a fun game. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. That's I'm gonna, excited. I feel like Both that Thursday night game always speeds up on us. Now, 
Tomorrow night is the big test for Amazon. We, our listening audience is pretty smart. If you don't know, this is on Amazon. Test it out. Turn it on early. But tomorrow night on Twitter, this is probably a 720 central kick. Tomorrow night on Twitter at 720, it, there is going to be a lot of coverage. Complaints. I know something starts at 630 central. That's why well, I've seen all the ads about 6.30 Central, which will probably be the pregame. Uh, Colin Warner, who handles everything radio for us in our radio network, we have walk-up music for our radio network, and we play the Amazon new NFL Thursday night theme. So I'm constantly thinking. It's like a, a little mental reminder that, oh, yeah, Amazon's got the NFL. I need to watch on Amazon on Thursday night every time I hear that thing. Tomorrow night will be the equivalent of a stadium that cannot handle – getting people in for kickoff. This is going to be a national equivalent for a big game of that, I feel like. And, and it's I, it's not Amazon's fault until their streaming is bad, I, if it's I've bad. Moved, but I've I moved think, on this, Paul. I think they're going to be totally fine. I don't think there's any way they screw this okay, up. Well, they might be fine. America is not going to be fine because a lot of America has no idea well, that this on, is on, on Amazon. Them. I agree. But that's not going to change what people are saying on Twitter or how they're reacting when... They sit down to turn it on, just like they sit down to turn on a regular game, and they speak into their their remote and say Thursday night football, and all of a sudden it doesn't just pop well, up magically like it has. Here's the reminder right here. Here's the audio reminder, this theme, which is really good. Everyone listening to us will know. Yes. Thursday night football on Amazon tomorrow. Uh, every Wednesday, primary complaint. That's next and Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. From 6th and Peabody, Outkick 360 rolls on. Coming up, we've got headlines from the SEC and more. And uh, then we'll be joined in studio by Michael McHenry, former Pirates catcher. We'll be in studio as we discuss all things Major League Baseball. It'll be a great discussion on rules, on races, home runs, and everything in between. Uh, And then later, Bobby Carpenter in our number three. Right now, though, it's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a primary complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my primary complaint this week, uh, going into public restrooms now, and I would say three out of the last five I've walked into Someone has left the faucet running. <laughs> like five sinks. And the faucets are just on full blast every time I go in. I don't get it. I walk in alone. I'm looking around going, is, is this a trick? Am I, being, am I being tricked into turning this off? And, you know, I'm on like some hidden camera thing where I get zapped. Or I, I, Again, like have the common courtesy to turn off the water that you have turned on. It's that simple. What are we getting to here? It's my primary complaint. 
So my primary complaint this week deals with protocols. Talked about a little protocol earlier in terms of exiting and entering a dugout. Another protocol is when you go to a place of food service and you walk up to a counter, typically you expect someone that's a cashier to come up and ask you what you would like to eat. I walked into a burger place yesterday. I will not name this burger place because I did not purchase anything from there, and I'll tell you why. I walked right in, and some cook in the back yells at me, hey, how many patties do you want? And I'm thinking, what? And I'm looking at the menu, and I said, one, I guess? And then I was at a place where actually the normal cheeseburger is two patties, so I had to do the math, and I said, I guess two. And at this point, after I figured out how many patties were in the normal cheeseburger, I decided to turn right around and walk out the door and come right here to 6th and Peabody and eat instead. Protocol. Let's stick to it. That's my primary complaint. Guy wanted to get the patties down. Um, I don't drink a lot of soda anymore, but uh, I gave it up entirely, but now I need caffeine once in a while. So occasionally I'll go back to the well and get a Diet Coke. My primary complaint is Diet Coke. It, it is horrible. I, I don't know what they've done to it. It used to be delicious, and gradually it's gotten worse and worse. We have a couple cans in the fridge. I pulled one out the other day, and I was like, this is going to refresh me and revive me. And what it did is it disgusted me. <laughs> it tastes like a, a can full of chemicals. There was nothing good about it. Let Wash it away and start again and go back to what it once was. Please. There are people who prefer Diet Coke over Coke. Yeah, it's not bad. Not, and they have no anymore. diet. Like, they're not doing it on purpose. They just prefer it. It's odd. What it is now is unrecognizable. Headlines next across the NFL and the SEC on Outkick 360.